Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 103. I'm your host, as always, Walter, and joining me today are Azil. Hey guys. Griff. Yo. Grail. Hey there. And Gobbs. Hey, hey. Thank you for joining me, guys. I don't really have an agenda today, so it's going to be all over the place. Um, I do know that we are all holed up in our hobbit hole. Now, we're not hobbit holes. Is there a berserk equivalent for hobbits yet? Can, is there a term I can Bra- use? Brownie, brownie, brownie holes. Uh, brownie I was holes. gonna say, I was gonna say goblins. You know, goblins. goblins. Leave, uh, brownie yeah. holes. <laughs> brownie holes sounds bad, though. You're right. Well, I mean, brownies are actually a kind of magical creature. So. I know that's why she pulled the reference for sure. Yeah. But they're in the attics, and yet, as you pointed out. But you're right, goblin hole. Anyway, we're here, uh, surviving, right? No, living. My my aunt has COVID, and uh, that's the source of some some real good juicy drama. But that that's the only person I know who has it right now. Wow. My is um, it, uh, is it the hot one? The hot aunt, yeah. So no, she's damn. hot, and Fuck. she's got a fever. If she's super COVID hot, then 20. she doesn't need to worry because I've heard you can use a hair dryer and COVID nineteen <laughs> melts away. Oh, no, <laughs> that's if you drink water and hold your breath, and it gets rid of hiccups. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, she must have been drinking some of that Corona extra beers. That's why she got sick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I good. actually, non-ironically, did shut Corona's stock, and it actually did dip. Like yeah. in, in, the, in the past month, it really. I did mean, take a people, people are fucking moronic, man. <laughs> Come on. Well, I mean, I'm just trying every, to. Every stock is taking well, a dip right well, now. Well, that's so. you know what? That's true. It's probably we'll just symptomatic of the overall market. But in my head. There are thousands and millions of Corona drinkers out there like, I better not drink this no more. I actually <laughs> considered buying some, like, not ironically, but just because I thought, I bet it's on sale right now. <laughs> yeah. like, like, Honestly, I, fe- I feel like buying some Corona just to support these guys in this, you know, hard time. Yeah. Yeah. You're a very nice man, as always. I am, but I just thought about it. I, I ended up buying Belgian <laughs> beer instead, so I'm just, I'm not that better. nice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We had a little bit of a scare. Um, my Everything's fine. My wife got tested and she turned out negative because she had a friend who had all the symptoms of it and she had to get her test. And they, for, at the time, it was like 48 hours before you got the results. And so there's a good two days where it's like her entire friend network Ugh. was like, when did I last hang out with this lady? Yeah, uh, no, it's like six degrees to Kevin Bacon out there. Like, Yeah. But it ended up fine. My wife tested negative. Um, but it's important because she works in healthcare, and so she had to get she was prioritized to get tested, you know, as Thanks. soon as she raised the issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's okay. the, yeah. The closest it came to me, or what I guess brought it home for me to be real, was one of uh, my coworkers actually, their uncle, got it and passed from it actually. Oh wow! So, that quickly. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So I mean, literally, like within a week. Jeez. And uh, they put Damn. him on a ventilator and everything, and his his whole family got it too. So uh, the the person's aunt had it, and so did wow. his cousins. So yeah, I mean it's no joke. So I'm just sort of yeah, I know. I think everyone's kind of playing the waiting game, seeing what's going on with you know the cases that pop up in the next week, how social yeah. distancing and quarantine, mm-hmm. if people follow it, uh, is going to work. If it's actually going to sort of drop the cases, because I mean I'm thinking. Well, this is easy. I'm gonna stay inside for a month straight. I got the food. I got doom maternal. No problem. But then I, <laughs> then I like look outside or on the news or hear from people that like, oh yeah, everyone's outside. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's yeah, it does the thing. Matter. Like, 
Yeah, I, I've I've been to the grocery store twice since this whole happened, and like you know, I treated it like I was going into like a goddamn war zone, but <laughs> no one else was. Everyone else yeah. was like it's a normal fucking day. <laughs> and it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe the joke's on us. And it's like, uh, it's not gonna be that bad. It's just in Italy where you know they probably weren't being careful. <laughs> you know, I mean that's. I mean, it yeah. hits home for me too. It's like basically my, you know, what I consider my mother country is like, you know, being destroyed by this yeah. thing, being ravaged, you know. So it's like I take it. But there's other people here that are just like, whatever, it's the flu, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. And it's like, eh, it could be worse than that. I don't want to end up killing my dad or something. I, I, I feel like the, uh, the U.S. is probably going to be the country that's hit the hardest by the disease precisely because – People yeah. aren't caring. Uh, the government is just doing bullshit, and you guys have got like terrible healthcare and yeah. and also like terrible work practices where people are just not g- gonna get paid or stuff like that. I mean, honestly, you I think it's, there's gonna be people forcing people to come into work with it. Yeah, like, yeah, guaranteed. Like it's gonna happen. Yeah, I've already I've already seen that on on Twitter. You know, people talking about that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's gonna be pretty bad. I mean, last uh, last night, um, Italy, you know, they had like over a hundred deaths in just uh, one one day. You know, right. so and and you know, I mean, the thing is, it's it's exponential. The more people don't care, the more they spread the disease, and then you know, everybody gets sick at once. And there's not enough beds, not enough ventilators, and that's how you know people uh, people die, you know, en masse, as we say in France. So, and uh, you know, France is also hit pretty hard. I, I was careful myself. I've been, you know, staying home for a few weeks, and I plan to just like stay home for I don't know a month and a half or something, just just in case, you know. It's it's not a big departure for for me and really for my family, other than the fact that my kid is now home. 24 seven instead of we cart them off to public school for eight hours a day. Cause I work from home most days mm-hmm. and I'm cool staying at home. I'm, I like, I prefer that. That's my preferred place to be. I don't want to be out. Um, Whereas other people are like, what? I've got to stay in for a, a weekend. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, I kind of like cast my, my, my mind out in terms of like the whole world is experiencing this. And that's what blows my mind. Like, Cause this is more yeah. or less my daily life. I just got to be more careful about food we intake and all that kind of shit. But like imagining this happened to every family, cause not every family is situated like ours is, you know, some yeah. people don't have childcare. Like we do don't have jobs like we do where I, I can work from home. There are so many families out there that are just like completely screwed. I just don't even know how you cope with that. For, you know, this only been a week. I can't imagine 12 more weeks yeah. Like yeah. for families like, yeah, that. for you know, sure. Unthinkable. People who got like three kids to take care of, and you know they need to go out to work, and they also live in like small apartments. Yeah, it's you know I mean for me it's easy. I've got a nice house with a, a big you know garden. I can just you know sit out and relax. But I know people who live in like I don't know maybe 25 square feet, and I've got problem with square feet. But you know very small <laughs> apartments in in Paris, and uh, I mean staying shut in like that is it's like a nightmare for these guys. So, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, San Francisco, how's it? How, what is it like out there? Um, well, what's what's the sure, atmosphere like? So, that, so I feel like um, because of the culture here, which is very like telecommuter friendly, like a lot of big companies out here started having people work from home really, really early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by early on, I mean like the beginning of March. <laughs> Same <laughs> so, here. 
Yeah, so uh, a friend of mine working at LinkedIn, for example, was told right at the start of March, just stay home. We don't want you to come in. And I pretty much got the same opportunity like about a week later. So we were very lucky. But like you were saying, I feel like there are people here who don't have that luxury, who work in these essential businesses like grocery stores or what have you and have to start you know, continuing to come in, but then again, they don't have good health care. So if they do get very sick or if they get a relative very sick, then, it, you know, they're hosed. So I feel like it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things pan out um, with regards to how the, comp- or how the country addresses health care and, you know, working uh, benefits, that sort of thing. Cause like, as was saying, America has a very different system and, uh, I feel like San Francisco is, is handling it well. We were the first area, I guess, to really have a lockdown. So I think they're yeah, really at the least trying the shelter, you know, at the home, shelter basically. in place. Yeah. And yeah. I know the rest of the state followed shortly after, but uh, I'm hoping that it makes a difference, but uh, yeah, it's it's scary stuff, but I, I agree that I think that uh, this is going to expose a lot of stuff about America that people were kind of brushing under the rug. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of a perfect storm. <laughs> you mean that, ways. that our leaders have no idea how to govern? <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a, that's a well, I mean, they know what they're doing because uh, I read that several senators, you know, actually sold stocks way <laughs> yeah, ahead they, of the crisis. They yeah, just that's kept been info- a big story. For themselves and just you know profited off of it. So I think That's I think one way as <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. just you know build a fortune on top of the corpse of corpses of people. You know yep. what's mine uh, is mine is the American way. <laughs> you know yeah. if you were a little more savvy, a little bit harder working, you would have been standing on those corpses now, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know I um I also think because in Europe we've also been hit pretty hard. I I, I think uh, Asian countries are the benefit, if you can say that, of having gone through several crises before, you know, like SARS and MERS, that kind of stuff. Take it Uh, seriously. Yeah, and so they already had like processes and infrastructure, and I feel like they could very early on realize what was going on and be like, okay, we're gonna, you know, um, apply all the stuff we've planned for this and, you know, just be very strict about it. And so you've got these numbers that fell down quickly. And I feel like, you know, people in Europe and the US, all the Western world are like, eh, you know, it's not so bad, doesn't look so bad. But the problems we can't, <laughs> we can't actually it's not apply. not so bad because they're doing the, they're actually taking the steps to mitigate yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And we can't do it because, you know, I mean, I, you read the Financial Times, they've got all these charts with, you know, like the dates of lockdowns going on. Like Italy went on lockdown this day, France went on lockdown this day, Spain mm-hmm. went on lockdown this day. But the problem is, you know, while the government says you got to stay inside, people just don't give a shit. And I mean, and they're just like, OK, they can put cops in the streets and they'll find you if you're just wondering about. But. People do it anyway. I mean, so that's not. I'm not we sure it's enough. Yeah. And I don't think we. I don't think we can. You know, to the to your point, it's like it's not feasible even. Yeah, I mean, at some point, either people need to be responsible, or you know, trouble happens. And what's, I mean, the problem is you see these guys. I mean, I've seen several interviews of people like, hey, you know, I just don't care. I'm yeah, young. So I've seen the video of spring breakers. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh man, if I get COVID, <laughs> I get it. Whatever, bro. <laughs> like, oh, I only saw a, a gif. Only saw a gif of it, and so in my head, I just did the voice. So whoever, yeah, whatever he sounds I've like, I already. Felt, <laughs> I, I, I think for the first time in my life, I've I feel just old. Seen? Oh, and, but you know, like all you know these what, kids, though? I'm like, oh my god, I fucking hate children. I, I feel like uh, I feel like those people are almost scapegoats for like, because those are like extremes, right? Like that's an extreme case. Whereas it's like, there's also it can be anyone. It can be any you know, like respond otherwise responsible middle aged adult that like they think I'm the exception. I'm not gonna get oh, sick. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and my- I'm gonna be careful. But they keep doing that, <laughs> and it's like they're part of the problem. Well, I'll tell you what, man, is one-to-one, the people that I know personally who are ignoring this or treating it like it's nothing are it's Republicans, are Trump, are Trumpers. And oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not, it's, it's politicized as well. I'm not exaggerating. That's a, that's a fucking fact. I know of two cases in my personal life of people that are disregarding this, one of which is my neighbors who are a bunch of – an older couple who have a Trump pin sticker on their goddamn car. I they had a big – like, they had a big – to get together two days ago, like a bunch of like six friends and yeah, they don't give a shit. And you know, someone in my, someone in my workplace, similar situation where they're like downplaying every single day. So, and what do you know? They're also Republicans. So, well, you know, the good news is you're going to get new neighbors soon. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I mean, I also think part of that is there's also like the fear factor hits people in different ways where it's like, yeah, I can handle it by being like, well, guess what? I'm just going to, you know, bunker up, you know, for a month. Fine by me. I'm going to go a little crazy in the better safe than sorry direction. Whereas other people, maybe they, they're not wired that way or they can't do that. They're just going to go into denial and be like, well, hey, it's just the flu. I got to live with this. Da, 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 da. It's, you know, I'll be careful. It won't get me. If yeah. This is happening elsewhere. You know, and, also, and that's what you tell yourself till you get it. It's worth saying that, uh, you know, like uh, bunkering down for months, actually what, you know, health experts are recommending. So yeah. it's not it's not yeah, even you know, like an excess of could, precaution. It, it's, it can be focused in the right direction. <laughs> where yeah. it's like it's, you know, and it's like that's the thing I'm being, you know, and I guess I guess the term is gaslighting. We're like, oh, well, you know, you ought to go out for this or that or it's fine if you're just going to meet someone. I'm like, no, that's not what they're saying. And, and logically in my own head. That doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, what's the point of me going out and risking it for, you yeah. know, no good reason? <laughs> and it's like know, to it's, get water or something. It's mostly the um, people who feel fine and don't care that contaminate huge areas because, you know, they're, they're going to travel between cities and, you know, spread it like that. It's what happened in, uh, in uh, South Korea, I, I believe. Uh, it's one guy who, like, contaminated two cities you know, uh, you know, pretty pretty much half the number of uh, cases they had was because of one dude. That's that's the other thing is I don't think people wrap their mind around it. Is that it's like one person goes and he infects two people, and then those two people infect two people, and then that's how an entire city or two cities gets completely infected. You know, they think ah, it's not really going to be that you know dramatic. They don't you know. So that's the other part where it's like, it's it's not just exposing all these issues in America, but just you know sort of how through human psychology and you know how bad we are at risk assessment and you know sort of just doing the math on this stuff it's a, and just like, a, a know, lack of personal responsibility in general that's ingrained in our culture well they also don't see the lack of responsibility like it doesn't you know they don't it's not real mm-hmm. for lack of a better word to them so they're not even being they're not even like in their heads they're not even being irresponsible that's I don't that think individualistic culture here well, 
I think it's because it, it does two things. I think it infringes on people's belief that they can act however they want because it's a goddamn free country, it, but- right? There's part of that. And it's also the fact that I think people want to trust their neighbors and they want to trust their friends. And so this is something that makes you kind of have to put a wall between that for your own personal safety. And that a lot of people aren't cool with that. Wall already in place. I had that years ago. I think it's mostly people just caring about themselves. I don't think. No, I think 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 it works on both layers. I I don't disagree with you that selfishness is not a key part of it. And I also think that even those that aren't being selfish want to like I have neighbor two two down the street from me, two friends, they live side by side and their their kids are playing together every day. And it's like I get that you trust your friends, but you're just increasing the vector size of, of yeah. how that could spread, you know? Mm. That's what I mean. Okay. It becomes like the sexual partner thing with HIV and you yeah. know the STDs are Yeah, it's everyone, not a, it's not a bad everyone, analogy. Everyone you had sex with, you were having sex with all those people, blah blah blah, you know that they did it's pretty much the same thing. Everyone you hang out with, you're pretty much hanging out with the germs of the people they hanged out with, potentially. Especially if, you know, they already gave you the virus. This guy says he's clean and he's hot. How could I not trust him? <laughs> um, I, I understand um, how people, like, feel frustrated over, like, not being able to, like, see their friends and stuff. But it's like, you got to do it. My dad... Um, had a double lung transplant and he's kind of one of those, those Trump people that you were talking about before who, while this was like really starting to, to get worrisome, he was like, ah, people are blowing this out of proportion. And, um, you know, you, I, you want to go hang out with, uh, your, your relatives and stuff like that. And, you know, Grail's grandma and stuff, but, um, yeah, you just like, I don't know. I guess it sucks that you can't, but you mm-hmm. should. And it's one of those like situations where I don't know. You no, I think right you're right. Thing. I think it, yeah. it, it adds competing <clears throat> factors to what you want to do. And that frustrates a lot of people for sure. Yeah. And it's also just having to deal, you know, it's people locked up together and then they have to sort of police each other on these matters. And that, you know, right. That, yeah. A lot of sticky situations. And, you know, if people aren't on the same page, it's like it's. Oh. it's that's it's like a something. horrible experiment we're in. We're basically in the thing. <laughs> like, that's, that's how I didn't even think it. about that, man. Whenever I was a reporter covering like rural Tennessee, the number one crime and the number one reason people got brought into the police department for arrested over the night was domestic abuse or domestic assault. It happened. Mm-hmm. It was so prevalent. It was crazy in the South, like constantly. It's one of those hidden issues that like once you start looking at the numbers, you realize how rampant and dominant it is. Because, but no one talks about it because it's not cool to talk about that. But like, yeah. how is that working for like seriously abusive households? They're locked in with their abuser nonstop, twenty four seven. When normally that abuser would be going out to a nine to five. Like, I don't know how the hell they survive that. Not gonna be good. Yeah. You pray they get coronavirus. <laughs> Send them out for some toilet paper. I was about to say. Yeah. Do a few trips out there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's kind of a downer. And uh, the other thing is like, yeah, I, I don't know when this. If this is the new normal, how long this lasts, what, what the what the next part of this year looks like um, for anything, and neither does anybody else. Even the experts don't know precisely what the next you know horizon looks like beyond this. Yeah, and I mean, how is it even going to work? Because you know, logically in my mind, it's like okay, we're all going to like stay in for a month or you know three months, and then it's like, well, then what about after that? 
Are we just well, going to, we're probably just going to come out and keep spreading the virus again, or at least hopefully, you know, whatever cases have already happened will have happened. That's what, that's what I think. Will be freed up. The pragmatic side of me says we will eventually reach a stage where people are just like accepting of the consequences and then people are going to die three months later. Yeah. Well, and well, that's also. Okay, I'll go ahead. There's also the matter of uh, immunity, you know. The problem right now is that so many people are getting sick at once, they can't be treated, but once more and more people have gotten sick and gotten over it and, you know, treatment is reached and then there's a vaccine being developed, it's going to take time, but I feel like it's going to get better. My expectation is that the situation will be tight until about September. And then it's gonna, you know, get better. There'll still be um, outbreaks and, you know, uh, bad cases, but it's gonna get, you know, better and better. You know, it's the whole idea of flattening the curve. Yeah. Uh, to have like small amount of cases, you know, at a time. You know, if you got a small amount of cases, obviously some people even on a ventilator will die because, you know, they're too old or they've got, you know, a condition. But you know the healthy people who would have died otherwise, you know, they'll be able to get treated. They'll be able to get, you know, proper hospital bed and stuff and they'll survive. So I yeah. think that's going to get better at that time. But yeah, what's for sh- for sure is uh, the next few weeks, uh, I think are going to be the, the hardest. And that's the thing. It's like that, uh, you know, people, it, you know, it was two weeks, then it was a month. Now it's like probably multiple months. Yeah. And I feel like our leaders, at least the, news i've been watching and the press conferences and things they don't do a good job of explaining why we're doing the quarantine and how it works and you know why you know basically the multiple benefits like why there isn't good exceptions like oh well it's okay if you're just going to go meet one person Mm -hmm. it's because you know we want to keep all the cases you want to isolate the cases we have discover those people treat them you know learn what you can about the virus see where the numbers are in the spread while not having new cases well, not having, you know, more spread, blah, blah, blah. But they always just, there's, they seem to have to couch everything in sort of a, please stay home. <laughs> it's better for you, <laughs> like message, just to keep it simple. But people will defy that. I think there's also a case of um, trying not to provoke a panic. Yeah. You know, you, you've got people who, you know, just buy every roll of toilet paper well, or, you know, give, just you know, try to yeah. hoard food. They're and, trying you know, to like have uh, six years of supplies for a six-month quarantine. You know, it's like it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm, I mean, the problem is, I think in the U.S. it's compounded by the fact people might actually shoot each other over rolls <laughs> yeah. of toilet paper. Which yeah. is oh, that's not a joke. They certainly will. Yeah. <laughs> over, so over. A, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it's a pretty shitty death. You know, all things considered. Literally. Yeah. But um, no, yeah, about our, that point, it's it's like all or nothing. You've got the you know, and again, the extremes of human nature where it's like either people go crazy and are like, oh, I'm gonna buy everything and hoard everything and freak out, or they're just not taking it seriously at all. And it's like you know, it would be nicer if we just left the food in the stores unless we need it. <laughs> it's like yeah. a nice compromise. I remember, I don't really. This this conversation doesn't have an ending point, but. There's a, an author, his name's Cory Doctorow, and I followed him on Twitter because he follows William Gibson, and they're often talking between each other. And Cory's thing is that when humanity or our current civilization is faced with a, a an apocalyptic moment, that it's not going to be so bad because at the core, people want to help each other. It's not going to be as dark as most of the narratives go out there. And, and so he, he, his whole pitch for all of his books is post-apocalyptic scenarios 
where people actually band together and help each other. And like the first fucking two weeks of this thing was just like, dude, your whole career is just down yeah. the toilet. He's just God uh, bless him. Yeah. yeah. Just He's seeing a, the uh, aisles of the goddamn grocery store. And yeah. Um, anyway, that just was always amusing to me that this guy is super optimistic about the core nature of humanity. I'm like, I just don't see it, man. I think at, we're at our best. We have the capability to do that. But at our core, I don't I don't see that. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about people only caring about themselves. I think there's there are people who are really empathetic and want to help other people, that kind of stuff. There's a, a side of folks who are like that. But there's also a, a bigger amount of people who will just, you know, kill to get what they want. And I mean, it's... It's a uh, history of uh, mankind, you know. I mean, if you look throughout history, people waged war and killed each other and, you know, did assassination and so on and so on uh, just to get what they wanted whenever resources were strained. And one of the things I, you know, I always tell people is that we live in a society, you know, as George Costanza would say, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like it's a thin veneer of politeness and social rules and norms, but... When people, you know, have their back against the wall, all that stuff crumbles. And then, you know, you got to get stabbed. You're going to get punched, robbed, everything just yeah. like that. I feel like that's, that's mankind. I used to think as I was, I used to ride the metro into D.C. every day for several years. And, like, I would have, I would be reading The Road, for example, as, one, as, as I was this one time, one time. And I was like, everyone on this train with me like, has somewhere to go. Like they have a, a function in society. They have a role in civilization. They have a family to return to. They have a job to go to. But like at one, at some point, all those roles could just be erased. If, if they don't have a job, where do they go? If the, the local source of food did not exist, what would they do? Like everyone has been programmed to do a certain thing, but there's a, there's a, there's a possibility that normal wouldn't exist anymore. I'm so a I, gamer. I do think it's, so it's, I'm okay. <laughs> It's very, it's a very thin line, as you said, Azil. That's my only point. Yeah, most of these guys would become cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, just, I mean, I know. see it both. Uh, I see both sides. Where and it, also, we're not even really put to the test yet, at least here. Where no, you're right. This is this is we'll this see. is easy stuff right now, for sure. It's like it's it's at the point where people are just sort of still being casual with it, for better or worse, one way or another. Even the people that are taking all the precautions, it's not like. I don't think it's really set into people's minds, and it shouldn't be yet. There's only been 300 yeah, deaths. Yeah, it's, it's been basically a week it's, since they asked to do social distancing. It's, yeah, it's not life and death yet. We're not at that point. Yes, there's still people that are like – even the people that are ransacking the grocery stores, that's almost like – I see that. That's like still like recreational ransacking. They're not doing that thinking, oh, yeah. I'm going to be dead tomorrow. Recreational yeah. ransacking. It I love really, it. I mean it really is. And – you know, but we also see the flip side. I'm seeing, you know, there's these drive up, you know, basically parking lots where volunteers with masks on are putting food in people's cars as they drive through. There's those people, too. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we'll see more of those people come out as the problem worsens. The, the, the real bad people are the ones that are like, you know, oh, I'm not going to take this seriously and be casual and go out and whatever. But they're also they will never help. Right. <laughs> either so those yeah. are those are in a way the worst you know because it's like you could be so useful by because you're not afraid and you're not worried about it just wear a mask and help pass out food or help people in need but instead you're it's like well i'm gonna go out and ah oh, what do you mean i can't go to the movies ah oh, damn it you know i hate this this <laughs> coronavirus <laughs> like, well you know there's like, also i think a lot of posturing in that people 
It's not so much they aren't afraid, but they're just not going to care, not going to change what they're like doing. But if you ask them, oh, yeah, then why would you mind going to that hospital room full of sick people? Then they might actually not be willing to do that because yeah. you know, it's easy to brag and to keep doing what you want, but it's another thing to actually show courage. And to your point about uh, the ransacking, I think what makes a big difference is that the actual logistics chain of you know food supply and stuff is not broken so that yeah. even though these morons are just getting all the toilet paper and all the food you know that the next day or at worst two days from then you know it's going to be restocked you know uh, in full uh, that's been <clears> the thing for me because it'd be people like oh man you gotta go shopping everyone's saying this and it's like this would be the this is like the last time i'd want to go like i don't want to go while all these people are going there and going you know berserk you know on brand here because you know it just i'd rather go when everything clears up like now the the risk in that is that for some reason they do have to close the supply line which i don't think is going to happen you know because there's not really any yeah for that logically <clears throat> so then it's like yeah i'd rather wait two weeks eat the food i have and then go when everyone relaxes a little bit or when they put you know controls on it like they're doing mm. because yeah people can't be trusted where it's like okay you've already got a full freezer a full cabinet a full fridge why do you need to go back and probably, you know, and take all this stuff again? And then there's the people trying to resell it. And to Az's point earlier about people getting shot, you can't buy a gun now because they're all sold out. Like, there's yeah. lines at the gun stores for people. That's a comforting up. thought. I haven't yeah, even thought know. about looking into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, my dad was telling me, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> people are loading up on guns for, oh, I guess, man. you know, in case we go Mad Max. <laughs> well, I mean, like the one thing we haven't discussed, and I don't want to – the whole podcast does not need to be COVID, but I, I get that this we're, – we're basically unloading what's been yeah. on our minds. And like I have – I've had my family to talk to about these, but I haven't had you know friends talk to. So I appreciate it, guys. Um, it's like unemployment. you know. Like as long as there's money coming in, we can feasibly keep the supply chain afloat. But if money stops coming in, if there are if, – if there is mass unemployment, that sends reverberations throughout – many parts of our society and yeah. one of them is being able to afford food when it is there you know for example so yeah i think there's a lot of chain of chain events that could happen over the summer um if that ha if that kind of thing happens i mean to i think uh to piggyback on your point there's a certain there's a fear of fragility here oh, where certainly. things things could things shouldn't collapse there isn't a reason for things to collapse logically to do with the virus like we're you know if we had real leadership and better stewardship, they would be able to thread the needle between, okay, what's the best way to keep people safe and get the least people sick while still preserving the economy and not overreacting, blah, 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 blah. But we're not going to do that. We're going to go, we're going to go pendulum swing between the worst case scenarios. So we probably get the most people sick and wreck the economy at the same time. And it's like, we would have been better off just ignoring it and like 3 million people would have died. But how many millions of people will die because they don't have money, because mm -hmm. they don't, you know, have the ability to get food anymore because food prices are skyrocketing. So, but that's not the kind of analysis I think our federal government, at least at the highest levels, where it, you know decisions get made, are doing. Unfortunately. Mm. Well, that was cheerful. Uh, no, I was I was I, pontificating I, I, whether to I had pull a, more threads, but I'm I'm not going yeah. to. <laughs> But yeah, hopefully, uh, well, you know, those jobs will stay open and people get food. Sadly, yeah, the point I was going to make was just the other reason I felt confident there'd be food on the shelves is that people were going to blow their wad. 
and it's like they're not going to be able to afford to buy all the food every week. They're going to run out of money doing this. Yeah. And that's when I'll go in and get my jug of milk or whatever, my loaf of bread. <laughs> oh, boy. Speaking of lack of faith in humanity, um, berserk. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Oh, hey, yeah, yo, huh? what brings us together here today is actually the coronavirus, to be honest. But while we're here, um, I have been working on something actually for like years. Now, don't get your hopes up because it's actually not a big thing. But it took me a long time to actually like finish. Uh, and that is a timeline of everything that Miura has ever created uh, since he was born, since he created himself in 1966 in uh, the oh. chief prefecture of Japan. I created a little a simple timeline, and it has some cute little images, and I'm going to share my screen in a second here. Um, let's see. Share screen. He can you see my screen? Himself? Yeah, he did. No, I was like... Can you see my screen? <laughs> I think that he took you like five minutes to, to notice that. No, I was can, holding on to that one. Can you guys see I, was, I, was, I was just going to yes, hold it. Yes, I can but... see it. Okay, great. Um, so... What will most likely be more surprising to people is like that I was able to get somewhat, you know, some images that most this people haven't actually paid attention to. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, was I know. Gonna joke about this, but you, you actually break have into his, no, his mother's so, house. I'll tell you what's really funny about ah. this guy is um, me and Azil months and months and months ago had found this bogus Chinese site. I can't remember the name, but games core, I think it's called that no basically idea. it's like a clickbait um, page where they amalgamate a ton of information about every possible pocket nerd culture topic, all in Chinese uh, just for clicks, basically. And they try to dominate based on like SEO stacking. I think, I think I've seen those in America for like heavy metal where it's like, it's, you can tell like, the articles are bot written yes. and they make no sense. And it's like these weird clickbait headlines, like that are like, Oh, here's a note from James Hetfield out of rehab. But the note exactly. is from like 1981. <laughs> it has nothing to do with him being in. It's like what? So what, what's good about those though is that they put relatively everything you could think about in one place. And sometimes you come across things that you never noticed before. For example, these two images from you know it's purported to be earlier in his notebook, and one that says Mirror Ranger. Uh, they're actually from the illustrations file. They're just so small on the page. You can barely see them. I'd never noticed them before. Like they're there um, along with, among with like a lot of other images. But if you really zoom in, hence the quality here, you can actually see a little bit there. And yeah. we'd thought all along that there are no images of Mirror Ranger. But actually, if you look at the 76 one, the top middle one says in Katakana Mirror Ranger. So yeah, that's totally Mirror Ranger, which he drew in elementary school, which was that is fucking pretty wild. cool. <laughs> That is little like, knight. You can see like little knights in there. That guy kind of looks like guts. I swear. <laughs> Actually, it looks like Giver in the top right. It looks like a Giver costume mm. thing. Dude, look at the helmet design. We're gonna go deep on this. Look at the helmet design on the the bottom center one. It looks almost a little bit like Griffith's little yeah. falcon helmet. Yeah, sure. Like the bottom of it. The what about this dude up here? This little old dude with a little uh little stick <laughs> there. I don't know what yeah. to make of that. Some candles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, these this is it was fun to dig up that stuff. But uh oh there's some more, by the way, yeah. This was this was middle school period, eighty-two, um, where he met the guy that writes Cestus, which apparently is still a manga that exists. Azia, let me know. I didn't know that. I can't believe that. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, holy shit. Well, because it's still 
the like dancing difference was what I, it's what I was telling Walter is just the same dude speaking to the same Roman lady about whatever it's uh, you know honestly it doesn't seem to move on very much from my perspective of looking at a page in a young animal every three years uh, likewise this one's also from the illustrations file it's cool that you can see a six and a seven like issue six and seven he, he produced quite a bit of these kind of things I think that's really cool to think that he was that formalized about his approach to these things like he really seemed even at a young age pretty ambitious about what he wanted to do with art um another thing i baked into this that i didn't realize until one of the recent interview was that um his parents were both artists his father did storyboards for commercials and his mother taught art that was in uh, one of the interviews from uh, 2018 that's 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 um <clears throat> we knew that before we he, did? He had, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he had talked about his parents, the fact they were both artists before. Uh, I feel like that's definitely not from uh, what did you say? Uh, yeah, it was the young animal editor when the, when the new president of Hakusensha came on. Miura had brought that up. I think it was 2018. I think it was. Yeah, well, uh, I've lost a little respect for him now that I know he had, he did not create himself as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we already knew that before because even when his father died, you know, which was before that, I, I think uh, we already knew that. It's. Um, I wonder if it's not even in the illustration files interview. Ah, I it's not. Know, I remember. I didn't that know was. that. Uh, to be honest, this is new information to me. I mean, I'm kind of like I'm in a weird way. I've kind of I just accepted the fact that like I don't know a lot about Mira. Like it's mysterious. I I think I kind of liked that, but it's like it makes perfect sense. Like, oh yeah, his dad would be an. Artist. I didn't even know his. I didn't know he had parents or that his father had <laughs> well, died. Well, he didn't actually. He created himself in 1956 <laughs> yeah. in the Chiba Prefecture of Japan. <laughs> like that's kind of pretty much how I had it in my head. Really, I mean, it wasn't. It's not that far off. Yeah. The, as we move forward a little bit to 85, he produced two new sci-fi one-shots. One was called Futatabi and one was Noah. Actually, I had not read these until fairly recently. I want to say like eight years ago or so. I, I just, first of all, it's really hard to get, it, get get them because they're not published in a Tonkaban. It's somewhere you can like get on Amazon. You, you really have to hunt down these ancient mid-80s magazines. I think someone had put scans up in uh, 2010 or so yeah. of them. <laughs> relatively high resolution scans, like decent scans on, mm. um, and they're actually, I actually prefer Futatabi to Noah. Noah is a little more melodramatic and, and Futatabi. It, it's just, it kind of follows a girl through a, like a science fiction setting. It's not so much of a combat or a, an action one as Noah is. I really liked it. I thought it was interesting uh, and a different kind of take than you'd expect from Mira. But anyway, they're worth checking out if you can, if you can find them for sure. And, it's one of those things where if there was a legitimate way to purchase it, I wouldn't be saying go look for them. But I'm saying go look for them because they don't exist anywhere. <laughs> you can't purchase them. So, like, I don't have any guilt about getting scans of those. Uh, I feel like the reason they have not been reedited is also because Murad doesn't feel like they're worse, you know. Yeah. Yeah, existing, basically. They're it's cool, gonna, though. It's pretty much going to sue you to take this down because, you know, <laughs> this, he doesn't want this information out there. <laughs> yeah. But these preceded, of course, all of his berserk work, and um, he sent out the prototype, and he won a contest when he was still in college, I think it was. I should have published that, actually. He yeah. graduated in university, so yeah, he was still in college when he did berserk, the prototype. Um, but it, he didn't launch straight into berserk. You see, he started with um, working with the guy that made, oh, sorry, the writer of Fist of the North Star, Yoshiyuki Okamura, also called Baronson. Now, uh, when me and Z were talking, he pointed out the fact that how crazy it was that this guy who had just graduated from college 
was asked to work with the guy that created Fist of the North Star as the artist Pretty on big. the series. That's <laughs> so, how does that yeah. even happen? Like what what are the behind the scenes things that would have made that happen? That's crazy. He uh, I should point out that Burnson did not actually create Fist of the North Star. The the artist actually created the series and Burnson uh, Burnson came on uh, shortly afterwards to to write it, but uh, he's not the one who originated the idea. Okay, so I should say writer. Of yeah, the yeah, he's definitely, yeah, he's definitely just, I mean, just the writer is, you know, it's a big deal, well, but he did not, like, create the original concept. Okay. I mean, I guess, I mean, in my mind, it makes sense where you've just got, like, a talented young artist, you pair him with this established writer, and, you know, basically have him do the artwork for it. The What's interesting about it is that Mira became such a big deal, whereas if he had not, it would have just been a not footnote in this guy's career that, oh, yeah, yeah. he worked with this young guy and yeah. no one no one even would no one would care or look it up or f- even know about it. So it's a uh, I mean, what is impressive, I think, is that for Mura, you know, uh, growing up, uh, Hukuto no Ken was definitely uh, like a big deal for him. It was a hugely yeah. Uh, manga in, uh, in Japan and and to be offered the opportunity to work with that guy I mean that that was a huge deal for him so I think it's um, when considering that he started working on uh, King of Wolves at the time instead of going straight into Berserk it, it just makes sense you know that this was a priority because that's that was a big the, opportunity yeah. yeah that's the kind of chance you don't get like twice so yeah it was a pretty big deal and I, I think it goes to show that he already had a promise back then, even to, you know, other people. Yeah, that was uh, that was the other part of it. Was that where it's like clearly he was recognized for his potential at the time to to be given such an offer. They saw like, oh wow, yeah, this guy's really talented. Correct and, me if I'm wrong, but uh, wasn't Mira also working on the first volume of Berserk while he was working on King of Wolves? I. I I'm trying to remember, but he might have said something about like, yeah, there wasn't a lot of detail in the first yeah. volume because I was working on other stuff. I think that's in the guidebook interview. He mentioned something like that. I should look into that yeah. and see if I can pull mm. some pieces out of that and put it in here. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I, I, what I was going to say was, and while we don't know like the inner workings of a lot of these things, um, I have to imagine that the recognition that he got for working with this guy led to this happening. The fact that he was able to re- publish Berserk as its own series later that year i think that's uh, i, I may, may have led to that i i wonder i wonder actually because <clears throat> i mean he already won uh the contest for comic comi so that was something you know and he probably did, didn't hurt what did you say Griff? he probably didn't I hurt said, he said it probably didn't hurt like, yeah for uh, sure it might have it might have happened anyway maybe uh it wouldn't have happened as soon yeah for sure and I don't know how many of you have read King of Wolves. Um, I've not actually read an English translation of it. I've never really cared to. I've kind of flipped through it. Um, I, I have. I, I've read all, all of these. I, I think uh, Oro, which is, yeah, the, the Wolf King, King of Wolves, whatever, I think is decent for what it is. Um, it's got some pretty good artwork, some stuff that's even reminiscent of uh, later Berserk um, artwork. <laughs> I think the story is fine. It's, it's a time travel story where a guy who's uh, really good at kendo travels back in time and he becomes Genji's Khan, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's fine. I think the second one, Oro then... Yeah, it, it kind of takes the concept farther, you know. Uh, they've got tanks, you know. They got, you know, a horse rider fighting against tanks, like from the Soviet Union or something. It's it's not very good. And uh, and Japan, 
is also a time travel story uh, about uh, a bunch of uh, yakuza's and uh, I, I believe a TV presenter or something uh, are sent to the future in a kind of uh, Mad Max post apocalyptic mm. thing, and they, they have to survive and end up you know rebuilding a tribe uh, you know which you call japan so but yeah Bronson these are... really likes time travel doesn't he <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah he's not uh, you know i got the feeling from it that person is really not that great of a writer to be honest so... all, all three of those are also like have post-apocalyptic settings at their core yeah um, which so did this in our star so he's kind of just hitting that button over and over um it's possibly because of that that I never really pursued, you know, looking for these. Because, like, to me, it kind of, like, as a litmus test for, like, what really drives me to Berserk. It's like, yeah, the art's great, and it is very memorable. But, like, I want to know what Miura would write. I want to know what his yeah. story would be, what his character. I wanna, that's really I want what his thoughts. Exactly. Like, that's kind of if – if it was him writing these, I would have had them in my bookshelf, you know, immediately. Well, I, I actually do have, uh, like the dark horse version of Japan and, uh, and, uh, what's the first one with Burns? Yeah. The Wolf King. Uh, I have those, but I can't remember anything about them other than looking at like the artwork. I don't remember the plots when as was describing the plots, I was like, well, that's news to me. And those are on my <laughs> show, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but what he said about the artwork is interesting and true that when I was looking through it, I was like, wow, this looks like very advanced Berserk artwork, like more like in the I think of them as the middle volumes, even though they're still actually quite early, like where it's sort of where it gets to around in the five to nine range, mm. that kind of look. Mm. And it would sort of makes sense if he was kind of splitting his duties during this time early on in Berserk. I don't know how long he was doing that. And obviously he did a couple of different things early on while he was also doing berserk. So it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, rather than his artwork developing later, if it was just like, okay, this is what his artwork looked like when he was putting everything into berserk later. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned splitting his time in the, in the guidebook yeah. interview. I think it's the guidebook interview. It looked like uh, Seth might've been giving his best to, you know, those other sources just because maybe he felt more responsibility to. Oh them yeah. I, Absolutely. Th I think he definitely did. And to answer your question, so uh, Oro was published before uh, before the first volume started, but you you can you know figure out it uh, took up from the amount of works that went into that. Then Oroden was published uh, while it was going on, uh, you know. So I guess what he was finishing volume one and doing volume two, and then uh, Japan was uh, published. Uh, in between, uh, I guess, volume four and volume five, you know, during that time. So it makes sense that, you know, when he was done with that, there'd be a jump in the, you know, the volumes after that. Yeah, I guess he, he had more time and, you know, uh, he, he could focus on, uh, on solely on Berserk instead of doing other stuff, for sure. Yeah. It's worth noting for... Whenever I eventually post this on the site, that the list of the timeline is not necessarily everything berserk that has ever happened. Like you'll see no statues in here. You're not going to see the berserk Muso game because I'm just focusing on what Miura contributed to that. So, for example, for the anime, it's the fact that he had a role of overseeing the production of of the the series. So he had an, he had he had a he had a credit well, in it. What know? would later be known as the best Berserk anime, yeah. or just we did the, not only, expect. the only Berserk anime there is. No yeah. Like, yeah, we don't talk about the other ones. <laughs> Let's I'm just not, not sure talk about is, Berserk anime. This one used to be the one we didn't talk about. <laughs> oh, oh, times have oh. changed. Times have yeah, changed. Now it's like, this, is like, this one's like Star Wars, you know. 
<laughs> it's wow. like in the, the new ones are the prequels or something. I feel like even at my lowest opinion of it, I still liked it. I still have a fondness of it, kind of at yeah, it, arm, arm's it, length, it, kind of. It has a very nostalgic quality, even beyond being, you know, sort of what a lot of people, my first exposure to Berserk, oh, yeah, but same. it's, just, yeah, it's very here. much like this, you know, it's very much a mid-90s anime. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, that's like, oh, yeah, you know, this was this was what I came up with. So, you know, it, it just has that quality. And even though it's like, you know, objectively, there's a lot of, you know, cheapness you can see on the screens. It's still a it still looks better to my eye than a lot the of panning illustrations any day over the CG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where it's like, hey, at least this is drawn, you know, at least this is an animation cell. You know, there's some somebody spent going. time on this. Yeah, <laughs> really, they thought just... about shot composition and things like that. And that's, they know. had to. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, a lot of fond memories there. Oh, and for the art book. Yeah, and the art book is the best art book that he's done. It's been uh, 23 years since that art book came out, and Damn. nary uh, one since then. Not really. I love the berserk calendar with like shirtless guts on the cover. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like a uh, fireman calendar. The swimsuit yeah. edition. Yeah. That so, calendar cool. is really great, man. <laughs> It Who would right. have thought? Imagine back then, people think, "Yeah, a calendar, okay, cool." But it's actually one of the best Berserk accessories you can get. It's really great. Yeah, I, I think everyone on this call is going to know this, but like, what's interesting about the '98 calendar is that there's a picture uh, illustration of Femto and Zod next to each other. Oh, yeah, it looks just like, not just like, very, very evocative of the Volume 34 cover. So it looks like he right. just took an inspiration for the Volume 34 cover. Um, he, basically, he basically did illustrations from like the end of Berserk for just for this '98 calendar. Warcry <laughs> <laughs> uh, just has, oh yeah, it's pretty cool. It's thick. Um, it's just illustrations that you can see a lot of them in the illustrations file as well. There's also some new ones. I'm pretty sure. I go crazy and become a yeah. Berserk themed serial killer. I'll leave my notes on those postcards at the crime right. scene. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So right. as will have to come investigate, you the know, the war cry him. killer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I would enjoy doing that. <laughs> you, it's like I just want to collect these postcards. <laughs> I, I've already got the book, but you know, <laughs> it's a it's a shame if they go to yeah. waste. Yeah, I mean, you know, doesn't hurt to have doubles. Yeah, you'll be there'll be a body, and you'll be like, you'll step over and pick up the postcard and see he tore the <laughs> card out of the book. What a sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't mind pulling the posters out of my Dark Horse editions um, of the actual volumes, but the Japanese ones remain intact. There we go. Um, what's interesting about 99 is that I've, I've said this on the, on the 100th podcast is that he, he clearly invested a lot of his personal touch to the development of the Dreamcast game. You can release just thumbing through this art book, the visual and story file. It's evident just the fact that the script is there. He has this long interview about his involvement, all the character designs that he contributed, the story, everything it's pretty obvious he invested a lot into that, but that's, I feel like that's a big solid line after this, after the, after the Dreamcast game, because as you'll see, as we keep scrolling, he's less and less involved with these extraneous projects. At least it never gets to this level again, this Dreamcast game level, which is somewhat to be expected because he has a popular manga to, to work on. And this probably took a lot of time away from him. It actually didn't in terms of the release schedule, but probably wanted to focus on the manga. Well, he's is my also, guess. It's interesting to sort of start tracking his age here. Cause this is where, you know, like, you know, it's one thing to work, you know, to burn the candle at both ends, like when he's in his twenties and even his thirties. But after that, it probably becomes, yeah, 
kind of hard to do all these different projects and keep drawing, especially as his artwork continues to develop. Yeah. Right. And it, it's like conviction arc era around 99 or something like that. It right. Crazy. Yeah. And like, it, uh, the, the level of detail, like I know some people prefer like lost children or some people prefer like golden age, but I feel like in terms of stylized artwork, it's really at its height in 99. It was, it was, that was like a peak. That was yeah. pretty awesome. That's one of my favorites as well. Yeah. I call it the well, e- economical stage where it was beautiful and efficient. He was yeah. a 33 at the time. Yeah, I wonder if I should add a little parenthetical note, like 33 or 32 or whatever, under the years, just to give some contextual yeah, information. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested in knowing his age at every I can, uh, I can, I can do that. Easy, without, easy having to do, without having to do basic math, because that's, that's yeah. hard. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very low-resolution image I could find of him. You know, the internet has done terrible things for posterity. Like, I, might have, I might have a better image of that. I, I, I have, like, used to. I, I couldn't I find have, it. I have the original from the original Japanese website where the guy took the pictures. They they are low resolution are, because yeah. the guy took them with like, you know, a, a digital camera of the time. So it's just you know, I mean, it's shitty because it was shitty. But I have the originals, so I can I can give them to you if needed. That'd be great because what I, I have is it, you see as maybe I'm just remembering it differently, but I swear I have like pretty high quality ones of him sitting with Inno. Let's with a see. weird look on his face. The one that gets spread around is him looking at the award with like a low he angle. Looks, he looks really uncomfortable. Like, what, yeah. are we, what are we doing? <laughs> Probably the start of him hiding his face after that image, <laughs> honestly. Um, also, that website that Azil mentioned, it, it has a little um, video. From, the camera's from a distance of yeah. giving his acceptance <laughs> speech. Um I have these as well. <laughs> really hard to hear what he's saying, and it's it's impossible to see anything as well. I, I believe I have it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure I shared it before. Anyway, um, the TCG, the trading card game. I guess now we call that a CCG these days, right? Collectible card game. Uh-huh. But same thing. Um, he contributed art for that, which I always thought those were cool. I wish they'd released a like what what do they call it? Um, you know, they, they were released in the collecting paintings, uh, the little booklets that were uh, in Young Animal. I remember uh, that. Yeah, these contained. I mean, they were all illustrations from the uh, trading card game. There were no new illustrations there, but uh, it was um, paintings that Mira contributed to games that were republished uh, as these little bonuses in uh, Young Animal. I should probably add that one as well then, the when, when they were collected. Um, sure. So give, me, give me those years and maybe an image yeah. or two. Yeah, there's also the MBRs. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it. Eh. Uh, uh, well, you... Yeah, sure. Okay, okay, fine. Okay. Um, the PS2 game, which I played on Azil's couch in 2005, the day that I flew in to visit him <laughs> and fell asleep shortly after. Oh, yeah. Um, that's my memory of that game, to be honest. Uh, what was interesting here is that um, I wanted to confirm all the development team that worked on this. They really parceled this one out. Cause, so Sammy Sega, or they eventually became Sammy Sega. It was Sammy at the time, did uh, oversaw the production. Uh, Anima Inc. did those awesome CG movies, uh, the front end of the back end and all that mid you know, midstream CG movies. Mm. And Ukes did most of the development. What's significant about that is that Ukes, of course, is the same team that did the Dreamcast game, which I didn't oh. realize until fairly recently. Um, I think even in the 100th podcast, I said it, it it wasn't Ukes. So I was wrong in that. It was Ukes that did a lot of the work for the PS2 game. I mean, it sucks that you have to do so much work to know it. Like, it couldn't be, like, they couldn't just make it a little more obvious or plainly stated. 
Yeah, I had to I had to look at an original Japanese video of it and then go to the very end of a playthrough to look at the credits. I um, think because they were a contractor, uh, Sammy just didn't feel like putting the uh, yeah. logo on the box. And Sammy's, uh, Sammy's name is all over this thing, from the for, to the title screen, etc. For some reason, I I was you know almost sure that Yux uh, had not been involved in the production, but you know well, yeah, when we actually checked with Walter, it's clear they were so. Funny whole memory works. I remember at the time, I don't know if you guys remember, but I had uh, ripped the videos, the cinematics from the, the DVD, and I put them online on my website because YouTube did not exist. <laughs> so I, I, I had like my hosting domain and I was, you know, people could download these and it would put such a strain on my uh, uh, hosting capacity. You know, oh, that was a great, right? I remember that. that. That intro was really fucking good. Yeah. Um, I, I, go ahead. No, I was just saying those were the days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said here, it kind of his his contribution to extra things kind of cuts off around here in my in my opinion. He, well, con- he contributed a few illustrations for this certainly. For the for the PS2 game, he did write the mm-hmm. um, you know the little t- side story with Charles mm-hmm. as um, yeah as a little kid that sacrificed his sister, and you know so it's got that little thing with the. Band of the Falcon, you know, that, says, yeah. uh, that Falcon scene is like basically like a dream scenario for me. Uh, you know, what would the Falcons think of Guts, you know, now yeah. when he's Griffith and all that? And the fact that they put it in the, that he wrote it for the damn PS2 game, it's like, ah. Couldn't that have well, been, you know, I, one I, chapter? I, so it's it's from my memories of the time, so it's not super reliable. But I remember two two interesting things about it. The first is that he said Charles, the the kid, uh, was a magic user, and that he wanted to introduce the possibility of apostles using magic. So as I was, uh, I think before Ganishka was introduced in the series, so that was an interesting thing. And the second is that, yeah, he was like, he wanted to address what, uh, I would say, how Gus, uh, what his fears are regarding what the other members of the Band of the Falcon uh, would be thinking. So it's like, you know, like a nightmare for Gus, that kind of stuff. And yeah, he, he said he would address it in the game because he wouldn't be in the, in the manga. At the same time, like those are figments of his imagination. It's it's not like it's really Judo saying, "How yeah. dare you!" It's clearly not what Judo's real take would be. As we saw necessarily, him. yeah, right. I mean, yeah. but no, it's just it's just such great material. It's like it's something I'd always want to see him get haunted with. Yeah, you know, used against him, and the fact that they used it there, it's just like, oh man, that's. Well, so, I mean, I'm glad it exists at all, but. You have to really respect Mir for not playing that card as often as he does. He he knows how, you know, what's the word, effective those visuals are of the, of the Band of the Falcon, you know? It's also really yeah. cool. Isn't it the old voice actors mm-hmm. from the anime? Yeah. Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, so so that, that made it even more like, whoa, it really is like the old Falcons back to life telling, you know, Guts, you know, you know, saying the worst possible things like, oh, we support the commander, of course. <laughs> you know, if you're against him, you're our enemy. <laughs> They did the same thing. It's not as significant as this one because this was almost 10 years since the anime had come out and they gathered that cast back. But for the Dreamcast game, they had the original voice actors as well from the anime. Yeah. But that's not as yeah. big a deal as this, for sure. Um, this was a weird one. Uh, the guy that did a vocal uh, synthesizer uh, called Gact created and Mira contributed some art for that. I, I don't know what the how the lines crossed there, but... They uh, did because uh, yeah because Gact he's a pretty big artist in Japan and he's a I think he just asked Mira pretty much 
He was like a fan of his, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard that he had wanted to play Griffith if there was like a live action thing or something. Oh, interesting. He w- he would be a good fit for the role. Although uh, I would hate, I would absolutely abhor uh, t- to see a uh, Berserk live action, you know, <laughs> series like I'm that. I'm glad it didn't happen. I'll oh yeah. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Game of Falcons. Oh my I god. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh god. Dude, we're not going to get anything that high quality. I think that's clear. <laughs> it would not be like, a, there would no 10 million an episode. Uh, let's make it maybe a hundred thou. Everyone remembers the 20th anniversary because Berserk always celebrates his big anniversaries. Uh, in 2009, we got a bunch of stuff. I tried to track all of them. It's a bunch of small things as well, but you got a pull out poster, a big painting of guts and Zod, uh, the Berserk character and world guide. You know, that was neat. It was a fun little thing. And it also coincided with Fantasia appearing. So it was nice that those two things kind of went hand in hand. A big momentous thing for a big momentous anniversary. Uh, of course, we didn't get anything of the sort uh, last year for the 30th, but that's how it goes, I guess. Um, I was wondering whether to include this one or not. He created an alternate cover for his uh, friend Chico Amino's uh, manga, March Comes In Like a Lion, which, by the way, is on Netflix now. I keep remember, reminding myself to watch it, but it's on, on the, the, the stream if you're interested. Uh, it contributed three paintings, which are really gorgeous, for the um, the movie trilogy for the uh, Golden Age for mm. Studio 4C. Um, I didn't I only featured one of them here. I just It's the one that I found. Uh, notice that there's no other role here, you know, kind of like by omission that he didn't really have anything to do with it. He has no credits in it other than like special thanks or berserk created by. There's no executive producer role or anything like that. Oh, um, no. So, yeah, he just kind of distanced himself from that just one. Just the mysterious smile. That's all he can <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A strange smile on his face as he watched the movie with me. What the fuck have they done? It was That's upside smile. down. As his heart exploded in his <laughs> chest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gigento Machia, of course. Um, and it was part of Young Animal's 20th anniversary. Um, I I was wondering whether to include this one or not, but this is, it featured his first published digital art for Berserk in volume 38, both for the cover art and, of course, for the little posters on the inside. <laughs> they added uh, the steam coming out of Gut's ears. Because <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's really mad. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that thing. Yeah, <laughs> that was a controversy too when that happened. When they added that frame. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. almost included that as an update that they redid all the volume covers into this really overblown. Yeah. Thing. Z- these are really pretty bad, and I'm uh, I'm already eager for them to change them again 15 years from now so that I can rebuy you know better volumes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love I love Mira, and I'll be a lifelong fan. But this is not one of my favorite illustrations that he has done of of guts. Um, of guts on the ghost toilet. Yeah. I see. <laughs> oh, no. oh my god. Look at, look at those was, ghosts too. It's like they are in the bathroom with them. They're just like, oh. <laughs> Mira stepped back up to the plate to contribute an original scenario for the third episode of this complete shit show of an anime oh, yeah. garbage that day. poster reflected how how he felt about the anime <laughs> yeah, yeah. he was trying to send a message to us read, read into the poster as you will what do you think send help 
No, I know me and Azil took the hit for that one. I, I watched every single episode of that. Azil, I think you stopped at this episode that Mira did, and you were like, that, I, uh, I, I've seen enough, I think. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think uh, I might. I forgot, actually. I don't remember. I was, for, was sure is I did not watch the second season of that <laughs> yeah. series, the second part of he, it. He wrote an original third episode, very interesting choice, where Guts kills himself, and that's the end of the series. <laughs> 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 Just for uh, the anime. Anime exclusive. Guts is dead. <laughs> I also hesitated to include this one. I feel like, oh by definition, God. I have to include it because Mira did provide 10 original illustrations plus a cover for The Flame Dragon Knight um, mm. in 2017. Still three years from that, and I still feel the burn from that oh one. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do not buy this. Where's, uh, we're the, coming... wait, where's the Skull Knight novel? Come on, oh, God! Not, first, you got to cut the Moonlight Night fanfic first, and then they're going to translate over, uh, over to the, uh, the Skull Kingdom man. Uh, um, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Flame Dragon Knight. I wonder if we should celebrate it in some way. I think we should. Yeah. Um, have a podcast where we just read the whole entire thing. I could read my review. I could just do a uh, a dramatic reading of my two thousand word review of the novel. I'd listen to that. I'll do it. Just for fun. Fun, quote-unquote. Um, and the last one, of course, is Duranki, which coincided with the release of Young Animal Zero, which is a sister publication of Young Animal. And that's still running um, up to issue four. Or maybe it's five? Five, I think. Um, it's pretty good. It's not It's not blowing my skirt up just yet. It's okay. Um, anyway, that's, that's where we stand on this one. Nothing in 2020 just yet other than Duranki, of course. Uh, which brings me to how are you guys feeling about the hiatus right now? Because I love it. It's um, <laughs> it feels a little different to me. I don't know why. I don't. I'm usually very patient. I mean, I'm, I've been reading the series well, for 20 we're years. In the but, middle of uh, like, let me let me try to because sure. here's the thing. I just sort of turned my berserk brain off. But so I'm I'm recalling the files now, and it's like Casca's back, <laughs> you know, and. Mm-hmm. What was going on with Griffith? Because there were significant things happening with him too, right? Oh yeah, declaring yeah. that, creating a second empire, like yeah. directing humanity's next like twenty years of progress, all that. Yeah, they, they had this big council meeting. So yeah, it's like it's it's a bad time to be away from it. It's like everything's everything's to happening. Completely, it's a bad time to ghost on your thirtieth anniversary. Is what it is. <laughs> oh, why? Well, you know, I mean, um, I feel like. Age is a part of it. I mean, not just age, but the amount of time. I think we've all been very patient, but I mean, eventually, you know, it starts feeling long. So there's there's that. And um, I think it's also the case of uh, what I, we talked about this, you know, in the past, but the fact if we want the series to finish in in proper time, you know, and to be done well, there's got to be a certain amount of episodes coming out each year. Otherwise, yeah. you know, if if it doesn't get there, it's possibility. Yeah, it's never gonna be finished. It's, it becomes impossible. And so, I mean, last year and this year are not looking good in that regard. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that's why we might be uh, feeling some, uh, let's say, doubt. Yeah, doubt, uneasiness. Well, well same- Megabond fans, and we have a lot <laughs> on the site, they know the perils of patience. <laughs> you know, that sometimes yeah. it just turns well, to nothing. <laughs> at least with Vagabond, not to get on too much of a tangent, at least with Vagabond, in no way kind of gave us a, here's what's on my brain about Vagabond and where and why there might be this long 
you know, Hyatt is, is because he was feeling kind of like, what's the word, conflicted about resolving his story and mm. the kind of character that he created and where he'd left him and how to bring that to a, a good conclusion. I also conclusion. think he just lost creative inspiration. I mean, and that, yeah. that can all be part of the same, you know, semantics for the same thing going on here. But, uh, but with Miura, it's been full steam ahead. There's been no slowdown in terms of story development. It's been like whenever it's in publication, it's been knocking it out of the park. Which makes you think, like, well, well, then what's the holdup exactly, you know? Um, well, yeah. you know, I think, so it's, there's always been this kind of thing about, you know, the time it takes to draw and, mm-hmm. you know, it takes him longer and so on. And he's doing most of the work and that's, that's true and that stuff. I mean, I, I've been, I was already saying that long ago that he was doing most of the work. And I was going to say, as if he loses you, man, it's over. It's well, like, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean whatever i mean i'll always be a fan but yeah i mean and, and it's a good thing that i have so many other things to do it's you know I, was, true as it is. <laughs> I, I mean I, I was telling walter i couldn't be i mean i think none of us could be as involved with the series as uh, yeah. where you know uh, 15 years ago simply because there's less stuff going on but yeah what i was gonna say is uh I feel like, you know, there's also a matter of uh, creative difficulties here, uh, not for the artwork so much as for the uh, writing. And I know Mira said before that he's the direction of the story, you know, uh, still going the same way he had envisioned all those years ago that didn't change. And I think it's not so much like the grand vision, because I'm sure he already knows what he wants to do, but the smallest things. And... You know, I mean, it's. I, I think it's not a coincidence. All this stuff, you know, started slowing down. You know, when we got closer and closer to Hellfilm, and you know, Casca uh, being cured, and us as a Skull Knight there, and and I think he's really knocked it out of the park at every step so far. But yeah, I feel he's got trouble, you know, doing these things. And I remember when he when Durkin was introduced, he had this little interview in, in which he mentions that. Uh, doing romantic stuff, you know, with um, Usumga would be complicated because while Guts and Casca are romantically involved, they've basically been like, they've just been on their first date and that's it, you know, for like 20 years. casca uh, has been, you know, uh, brand dead and, and that's been the thing. So, and I feel like, you know, resolving that stuff for a guy like him who's basically uh, single, uh, has been single for a long time, you know, socially not seeing a lot of people. So I, I think that might be a challenge. And basically resolving the story and uh, moving it forward uh, with the level of quality he's expecting of itself, of himself, which is very, very high. Uh, I, I think that's also what's uh, taking so long, you know. What's going on in FM? How are Kaskangas going to, you know, resolve their problems? Uh, what's going to disrupt the things? Is it going to be apostles? Is it going to be a member of the God Hand? Is it going to be something else? And then um, what's going on? So I think all that stuff is, um, yeah, it's putting a strain on him and uh, it's kind of burning him out a bit. And I feel like the artwork might be kind of an excuse, you know. I, of course, it's just a guess and I, I don't have proof. And I, you know, I mean, if he says it's not that, it's not that. But that's my take at least. So basically, you're saying Casco ruined Berserk. That's my. No, <laughs> no, no I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> I, I know you're not saying that. Uh, no, I uh, I agree with what you're saying, and I mean, I think it's what you're saying. I think the, the the part that rings most true to me is it's trying to bring all these all these ships into port, basically. Like 
It's not the big yep. stuff. He probably knows what's going to happen between Guts and Griffith and Casca. It's uh, it's getting there and it's moving everything else into that place in a yeah. way that feels earned and satisfactory yeah. in comparison to everything that's come before because it's been so huge and he's got so many little tiny side stories and characters that he has to kind of get in position. It really is like moving mountains. Exactly. And, I mean, so it's, so it's I can all- see that being a big problem. I think it culminates around the fact that, as we've been saying for years, that we're at a precipice in the story where he has to start turning the page about what that next, you know, scenario, what the what the, what the shape of the next scenario or the but, final scenario will be. But without and, like having them teleport to Griffith's castle, yeah. <laughs> castle for the final battle, and that's it, you know, <laughs> because be like, oh, he's written a lot of checks over the past ten years that he just recently cashed in, you know, yeah. Griffith's, yeah. Griffith's got his kingdom, Casca's the, back. The Casca thing is that he's basically starting over in a weird way. It's like it's a new series on that side. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, I, I'm acknowledging that it's it, it, the story is at a precipice that he has to cross over now, and that is certainly difficult. I, I guess what I'm saying is like. Normally, as a fan, I have no problem like weathering these long breaks, but something about it just feels different to me. Like it's it's just not sitting as right with me. I don't know. Maybe it's because I can't see over the horizon. Because this is the same stuff I was saying about Inno and Vagabond a little bit differently in the fact that like when he should have been winding down, it felt like he was still creating. Mm -hmm. It felt like he was still expanding things. It felt Mm -hmm. like he was instead of whittling things down and narrowing things down to kojiro and musashi duking it out on the island it felt like we were going oh well here's kojiro in the city here's something you know with some side characters talking about some stuff and it just felt like it was actually getting bigger and more unruly and i don't i don't know that i don't think i i haven't really seen that in berserk so much but uh, he does have a lot of things and i'm sure a lot of things on his mind like what's going on with the salat right now Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, Ricker, you know, what what are they doing? You know, how do I resolve that? How do I connect them and hook them up with guts and crew? And so it's just a lot of shit. Yeah, I mean, Halfam has always been a kind of a nexus for you know, like the peak where the series, like you said, he would stop expanding and start winding it down. I, I think he's got the right idea and, and the right you know stuff. But yeah, you gotta tie all those loose threads. And I feel like I don't know. Anyway, I, I believe that's part of it. And I think to to get back to your question, Walter, about why is this this time feels different. I think it's because of Duranki, you know. And um, yeah. oh, as, maybe that's so, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean the fact is, you know, I, I understand the rationale that was given to us for why uh, create Duranki is that. Basically, his assistants are not good enough, uh, you know, to help him produce quickly, and uh, and maybe it's also a matter of him not letting them have, a, you know, a big enough share of the work because it's as his baby, and he doesn't want them to touch it too much. That might be also part of it. So. He decided to do that and, you know, have them train on it. Everybody knows the story. At the same time, I also think he had these other ideas and he was basically thinking, well, you know, by the time I finish Berserk, I'm not going to be able to work on something else, so I might as well just do it now. And, you know, have my team work on it because it's kind of the B-plot stuff. It's not my main juice. It's kind of a side thing. But there's not as much at stake either as the as the other thing. It's a new series without a whole lot of stakes in it. Yeah. It could it could be a short run, it could be a long run. Uh it doesn't have um like 
Berserk film partners knocking on his door, for example. It doesn't have as many um, threads tied sure. tying it down as a franchise. At the same time, I think uh, the impetus for it, like he had ideas. He's always had ideas. I think the basically Hakusensha, you know, uh, Young Animal Storm or Young Animal Harasi, as it's uh, known as, uh, in Japan, uh, shut down because it was not successful enough. They needed something big to get the new magazine going, Young Animal Zero. And I, f- I think uh, Hakusensha's boss just knocked on his door and said, okay, we, we need something, so you're going to give us something. You know, We need something to get going. So that was a challenge to him, and I feel like that's also why Drunky exists. You know, like if I had to give like a number one reason, that might be because uh, Hakusensha needed it. Young Animal mm-hmm. needed it. So he produced that series. And doing having his assistance, you know, uh, take on more work and get better, that's another reason. Also, having a series they're working on primarily uh, to attract more assistance might also be a reason because, uh, you know, he had said he had had trouble uh, hiring new people. Now we know he's uh, hired at least one new guy, probably a, a, a couple more. So, yeah, I mean, all these things come into play. I, I think at the end of the day, to maybe to uh, recap things, the reason we might uh, have doubts is because I'm not so sure uh, what they're doing with Drunky now is really going to actually help Berserk getting made faster. I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced yet, you know. Right. I've yet, I've yet to see it because so far Berserk is just not being done. And I, because I'm not sure it's actually possible, well, what if it's not possible? What if he can't produce boss at the same time? Then what happens? Yeah, now that's the thing. Like, we, fans have basically accepted the existence of this of this series as an experiment to increase the production or infrastructure around Mira Studio. But if that doesn't actually happen, then all we got was like What's a series point? that yeah, kind of it's like a, it's a distraction, you know. Really, yeah. uh, I hope, I hope it's training, not that. I, maybe the wrong Maybe Duranki will eventually be great, and I, it, it, it could be. And maybe Berserk's really will, the infrastructure really will improve as a result of the, this. But this hasn't happened yet. Neither the scenario is that they come out and Mira's like, oh, thank God for these last few years, I've got all this material now ready to go. Now, whether <laughs> that's actually, it's drawn or it's just, I've I've basically finished the manuscript for the rest of Berserk, I know exactly what it's going to be. Now we just have to draw it. That's going to be the easy part, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That, that's to me, that's probably like the best that can come out of this. If it's going to be like, uh, yeah, so we've been working on this. We haven't really been doing much with Berserk all this time. Uh, we're going to get back to it now. Then it's like, it was just sort of wasted years. Yeah. To, to, and, try, and, you know, to, to try and be fair, I feel like, uh, a slowdown in the activity can be explained or actually should be considered uh, with the fact you had to onboard, let's say, three more guys or girls and, you know, and get them uh, up and running and up to speed on his process and working with the team and the kind of qualities, ex- you know, expecting from them. So I feel like, you know, that, that can be that can explain why things have been uh I wouldn't say slow, but dead on the basic side of things. Uh, they've, they've been, you know, focusing on Duranki and getting things uh, done. And yeah, I, I hope uh, in the meantime, he's been able to uh, rack his brain and maybe get his creative juices flowing. And and yeah, I don't know, get some ideas about what to do with Berserk. Because I, I still fundamentally think uh, the problem is not just, you know, having great artwork which, you know, it's true, it's great, and it must take a lot of time to do, but about knowing where to go next, you know, about, like, the Skull Knight showed up, 
What's it gonna be about? What what happened a thousand years ago? How do you execute it too in a way that you know will be satisfying? Yeah, yeah because I mean the thing is like the manuscript and the artwork actually linked is that you know it's it's um it's one thing to be okay okay now I know what it's gonna be it's a void is gonna do that and the sky does that but then how do you actually draw it and make it look you know, super cool and badass and have these great angles he's doing and have this thing and have a little detail in the corners that, you know, is going to make sense, you know, uh, 10 volumes later when so-and-so recalls that. So, you know, mixing all that stuff together is uh, where it's actually difficult, I think. The worst case scenario. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that I feel like the part that kind of factors into all this is also the fact that Mir has been transitioning to digital for the last few years. And yeah, I know that overall, I feel like the artwork is still great, but there have definitely been some moments where it's like, oh, you know, he's still adjusting. So I feel like Mira might be also taking time to adjust and, and kind of tweak his Photoshop settings to get everything perfect. <laughs> well, get I think yeah. well, he has to adjust his style, yeah. Durante yeah, is a good test case for that because it, it looks very refined. It looks... Um, my problem is it doesn't have the same like handcrafted feel to it to me. Um, it, it's still definitely Mira's designs. Like me and Azil have kind of like bickered about that. I've complained about a couple of them, but he's pointed out like this is distinctly Mira's armor design. I'm like, I guess it is. It's just really different. <laughs> it's my thing. <laughs> but yeah, no, my point is like Mira still have his his hand in those things, but it doesn't feel like the pencil day or the sorry the pen days to me. Yeah, and uh, I, I think have... that's a natural that's a natural issue between digital and and traditional that you're always going to run into because traditional always has that extra handcrafted mm-hmm. element to it that you just lose with the digital production. And I but don't think, know. That being said, like I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. And like if 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 it even came down to the apocalyptic scenario of Mira just being able to do the the story and a, a very well trained assistant under his tutelage does the art, guys, I'm cool with it. I Are can, you talking about that, that for Berserk? Yes. Because I was going to ask that question. I was going to say, you know, that was going to be my controversial little question here at the end. Is it like, how would everyone feel if this is basically leading to him training them to finish Berserk while he's like semi-retired from the writing part? You know, uh, as long as he's the one writing the story, I don't care who draws it, honestly. I mean, that's not true. I, I would prefer if he wrote the story and drew it. Sure. But I'd rather have him like write the story and maybe you know do the uh, the sketches, you know, and have yeah. somebody else do the inking and the final touches. Even someone with di- all his approval, it's basically his. It's basically his mind guiding their hands. Yeah, yeah, because you know, I mean, people always talk about the artwork in Berserk. It's it's what like the casual fans, let's say, without trying to be too snooty about it. But everyone's always oh, you know, and there's a super shot, super detail of that and whatnot and whatever and it's true the artwork is great but I mean the reason I've been reading Berserk I mean following the stories for so long is because of the story uh, and the characters you know like the whole the writing that's that's what makes it great to me so even if it was someone else I would be fine I mean it wouldn't be ideal but I would be okay with it as long as he was the one writing the other uh, way around however if it's like somebody else writing it and he's just the one drawing I mean Fuck that! And we saw what happened yeah. with the Grandbuild number. A. So yeah, I would, that. I would, I would just be done with it. To be honest, yeah. if it's not I, me or writing it, I don't, why would I even bother with it? Yeah, that would w- be a huge tragedy. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just stop. I would, I would not read the rest. 
Well, yeah, what yeah. if it was something where it's like, oh, he made the manuscript, but he's no longer actively involved for whatever reason, and they're just, Oof, his studio that's... is finishing it. That's like... That's it just wouldn't be Berserk anymore. It would just yeah. be like fan fiction. Yeah. Like, if he wasn't there to, like, oversee it in some capacity... But he, uh, and, but he wrote you know, be the, the ending on a bar napkin, so we know what, <laughs> what we're doing here. <laughs> well, you we know, got the outline. To, to be honest, I, I don't think, like, from his interviews and everything he's ever said over the years, I don't feel like he would ever allow such a thing to, to happen. I, I think Whoa. he's very, I think he's very, you know, people, I know there's always a couple of uh, idiots who make fun of that, but I think he's very involved uh, in his story and, you know, like, it's not something he lets go of easily, despite some errors over the past few years. So, yeah, I don't think he would let that happen. Um, about the artwork thing, like the, the only thing I wanted to add to the end of that conversation was the fact that these are all hypotheticals. And like, as you alluded to, I doubt Mira would ever let it get to the point that someone else is writing it. I also don't think he could ever separate himself entirely from the artwork. And that's evidenced by the fact that in those interviews, he's saying he has a hard time letting anybody even assist him with any yeah. significant detail. That this is not the kind of person with a personality that would completely leave that to somebody else. This I is agree. probably too personal for him. And so it's a complicated scenario to get out of. It was kind of shocking, actually. Speaking of that particular uh, comment of his, when he was talking about he doesn't even let other people do, like, backgrounds. I was sure that he was having people drawing, like, soldiers and barrels and trees or whatever. He says something. I don't remember the wording off the top of my head, but like uh, he, he says, go ahead. He, he does, I mean, some parts of the backgrounds are done by other people. It's funny, there's a part, there's a, an era of his drawings where it's really easy to see even the background characters, the one he does and the ones the assistants does because he, the ones that are not done by him are just so much poorer, you know, so they're fine, but oh, they're sure. really a lot less good. And, um, and so, yeah, some people do the backgrounds, but yeah, it's true, he does... He still does a lot of it, like and and he's got a guy doing like the effects, you know, the the special effects with the clouds. That stuff has been done, you know, digitally for a while. So, um, but but yeah, he still does a lot of it. I mean, I remember I think in a comment he said now he's you know thinking about letting some of the guys do the the ground, like the floor. This is mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, yeah. damn, he doesn't, he didn't let them do that before. That's that's like the dirt, you know, doing the <laughs> dirt. You're not doing control. Enough dirt. That's control. Yeah. yeah. That's, wow. And I mean, I I understand. At the same time, it kind of it's funny because I've always felt that his assistants actually did, really did not do much, and he did most of the work, which kind of defeats the point of having assistants. And actually, it just confirmed it, you know. And and I think that goes with you know how much of a perfectionist he is. And you know that yeah, he's got and that's his baby, you know, like Berserk. That's that's his stuff. I think, you know, he loves uh, Giganto Mike and he loves everything that he's done. But Berserk, like that's if the one thing is his thing, that's the one. So I even understand, you know, the, that the point of Drunky is just to train him mentally to be able to let other people do more work. I, I get it, you know, and I mean, if, if that's what he needs, you know, yeah, sure. I never thought about it like that. Like to me, it was more of an infrastructure or staffing issue. Um, but yeah, it could very well be to acclimate him to the the idea of someone else taking the pen after him and like I, drawing on the same page. You know, I I think he actually mentions it himself. Like oh. uh, yeah, in one of the interviews, he says it's maybe not as directly as I'm you know putting it, but yeah, he he pretty much said that 
is to also to help him as a you know a person you know be able to let others have a bigger side of the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd actually be interested not for this podcast, guys, but like I'd be interested in hearing Grail and Gobbs weigh in on Duranki whenever whenever you guys have a chance to read it because like I'm not an art critic. I am I'm, I'm more of a um, I can critique writing pretty well. But uh, art, it's like it looks pretty good. It looks, it looks sharp, is what it looks like, and I like the way they framed this, and I like the composition of this. But like, I can't tell you what it is about the art for Taranki that just feels a little wonky to me. Um, maybe you guys, maybe you guys would have a different take, or like this is um, actually really good. Or I don't really know. I'm not caught up on Taranki, but I've read the first two uh, episodes of it, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was good. I, I know what you mean in that it kind of I feel like some of the characters' expressions are a little flat. Like, they just kind of, they don't go far enough for me. I guess I really like expressive characters, and I know that um, maybe maybe Duranki isn't isn't quite hitting that note for me, but uh, I haven't read it all yet, so I don't know. Uh, maybe the last couple of episodes have, have been different. Um, no, it's pretty much even keel since the, since the start. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I can't say. It's... it's tough because i guess yeah i'm not i'm not trying to put you on the spot i'm just more like in the you know in a future podcast maybe we'll talk about it i'd be interested oh for sure perspective on it yeah for sure are are you caught up gob no i'm not caught up i've i think i've pretty much read the same uh, episodes you have uh but i i enjoyed the art uh it was obviously a different type of setting than berserk and uh I found it interesting looking, but yeah, I agree with Grail about the expressions and everything. And maybe it could just be the fact that these are characters that um, there's, these are new characters and they're only being drawn for like the first, uh, you know, they, they need to get used to drawing these characters. And then um, Mm -hmm. maybe once they feel a little more comfortable, then they'll start uh, being more expressive and stylized and, and all of that stuff. And plus that's actually a really good point because we're used to, you know, having characters in berserk who we've, you know, spent so much time with, whereas these guys are fairly new. So we don't know quite what to expect. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's, there's also the added factor that the, most of the cast is children or at least younger kids. And so um, their bodies and faces look a little wonky to me. <laughs> Just like the heads are pretty big and you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, different shape than adults. So yeah, just kind of draws attention to itself a little bit. We'll have to see how it unfolds. Yes. Yeah. That's all I had planned for today. Um, thanks for joining me on the very impromptu podcast. Uh, I hope to be back soon. I always do. It's just got to be the right time, right topic, right people. Um, but if you listened the whole way through, I appreciate it. And hang in there through the hiatus and the pandemic. All right. Bye bye. More or less, I just wanted to gather us together to, like, you know, say, like, yes, we're still alive, even though we haven't recorded since August. And yes, like, we are all homebound and kind of twiddling our thumbs when it comes to berserk, but we're, but we have been playing doom.
So that's yeah. something. That's, <laughs> that's the timing of all these game releases couldn't have been more perfect for a global pandemic. I mean, <laughs> like, here we go. I got Doom. I got Resident Evil. Oh, the Last of Us. That'll be that'll be fun. <laughs> Do you know when does uh, Resident Evil 3 come out? April third, I think. Oh damn! That's like two weeks from now. Yeah. It's Doom it's quick. Next That's next Friday. Wow. Because uh, yeah, you know the um, there's also Half Life uh, Alex, which comes out you know on Monday. Yeah. So for the VR equipped, which means me, that's another thing to play through. Well, yep. there's uh, there's something that coronavirus might have uh, delayed for me. I don't know that I can you know <laughs> invest at the moment. Yeah, for it sure. Would be a, it's, not, it's not a good sell. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I that's, that's, that's VR where equipment. I'm at. <laughs> like I was, I had been slowly gearing up to get everything needed for that, and like if we weren't in the middle of a crisis, I probably would have everything. Like I, I was. Exactly why i got the computer same that's why i upgraded my computer in december was like getting piece by piece by piece without having to drop 1k all at once i was like yeah 200 here 100 here no one's gonna notice <laughs> um but yeah I'm, I'm i'm still two key pieces away from being able to do that i need a whole new video card which is minimum 250 and then the the vr itself which is 400 so like i i just can't swing it right now unfortunately yeah yeah, plus the like VR is sold out, so. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be the case for a lot of people. So, sucks to be Valve, I guess. Well, I mean, it's probably the best for me, just because it's like I was thinking about it the other day, like, oh, should I try to get it, you know? Anyway, and then it's like, well, what do you? What am I doing? I should probably wait to see if if Az likes it. <laughs> like, you know, it's like if he doesn't like <laughs> it, and if Walter doesn't like it, you know, if you guys were both playing it, I've pretty, I've pretty much got you know two gurus on this on this subject matter. I, I, I feel just, the thing is like we're recording, by the way, I'm recording via Skype. So I, I, I'm not going to bother with audacity this time. Um, here's where I sit on it is the fact that valve has been so sacrosanct about half-life releases in the past two decades that they only kind of come up to the surface when they have something to say. And clearly they've squashed, you know, versions of this particular game in the past, but nothing really coalesced into a release until this and you could read you could read into that and, and say, well, that's because they have a lot to say in terms of the avenue, the VR, like you know, medium. That's what their statement is. Or you could also say that they have something really special for Half-Life fans in this game as well. Um, I, I, basically, long story short, if they're putting something out after so long, one stands to reason that it's going to be pretty good. They, they have a, something worthwhile to give us. Yeah, I mean, I saw, uh, I watched an, uh, an interview with Gabe Newell recently, and uh, as a guy who was like the, you know, project manager or I guess producer or whatever for uh, Half-Life Alex, and uh, you know, it's mostly Gabe that talked, and yeah, I mean, he seems to be. The reason they're doing it in VR is because they think that's where the future of the FPS is pretty much and um i mean they're pretty confident about it i mean that kind of goes without saying but yeah the reason they are releasing it now and they made it a half-life game and it's a game they spent you know uh five years developing so when you take that into account you know it's not some things they just pumped out in a year or so it you know took five years and i think they had like you know uh several hundred people working on it at some point so it's uh yeah it's a big title it's longer than half-life 2 was uh, and yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, 
you know how long they worked on Duke Nukem Forever, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've also I've also seen you know some some shots of of the game, and uh, I've tried not to spoil myself, but I think it's gonna it's probably gonna be pretty good, honestly. Yeah. And- my my faith comes just from sort of the Valve brand, for lack of a better word. I mean, not like mindless brand loyalty, but because they've got a good track record. You know, they've got a good reputation. They've done good work in the past. I don't think they'd even let's say this isn't like some transcendent inspired thing, which is a high standard to hold anyone to anyway to like, oh, I think they wouldn't bring a game out if it wasn't going to be transcendent. Um I, I think they'll do good work, even if it's like this was just what came together out of all those projects they were trying to do. You know, mm-hmm. this is what we made. And the one thing that gives me skepticism about it is the fact that it's like uh, a spinoff of a character from Half-Life 2, you know, from mm-hmm. so many years ago. It's like this doesn't feel to me like the vital next step. <laughs> yeah, you know, who is asking for you know? this now? Yeah. That's the part of it that feels like this is, you know, in some ways a compromise, but maybe it's, uh, you know, it's all about, like you were saying, the VR medium and the gameplay and what they're going to do with it. And maybe even having it being in a familiar setting, like, you know, the world of Half-Life 2 will help highlight that difference. You know, I actually read uh, an interview when they announced the game with the uh, director and the guy said that basically... You know, even just making a Half-Life game was already a huge deal. And, yeah. like, like it couldn't possibly be Half-Life 3. Like, it would have been, like, not only because of politics inside the studio, which the guy hinted at, but also because basically none of them had the balls to do it. <laughs> it's like, I mean, who's, you know, like, you better well, not miss the shot, right? Game. I have to say, there's, like, there is an element of smelling our own farts here, like, with all that talk. Like, where it's like, it's like Nintendo if they were like, oh, we can't possibly make another Mario game. We can't release the next Mario title because it's too important. It's like, <laughs> well, well, that's what you guys do, isn't it? Every I mean, every four years, yeah. Um, like, and I know they don't do that, but it's like, you're just, you know, you're just... Just make a good game. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's actually a it's actually a valid comparison because in the interview they talk about Gabe saying some of the team members here like grew up playing Half Life and like Half Life is yeah. what got these guys into the industry and that's the same with Nintendo like the newer Nintendo yeah. games like if you read the interviews the people that are core to the team were people that grew up playing Mario games particularly the new one Odyssey like it's a tribute to those older games because it came from a team of people that grew up playing those games. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm kind of tapping into something I can't, I can't even remember my thoughts on Half Life Alex because it's like three or four months old in terms of like where my headspace was. But I I agree with Azil about the politics of Half Life Three. Like I feel like Valve's like if we're gonna take that shot, that's gonna be like the revolutionary thing because we've been waiting so long. It better rock the world. Whereas this feels more because it's a prequel it gives them an opportunity to be iterative on it like this is our take on half-life and vr if it happens to be a mammoth success then maybe we'll shift our weight into a full-blown half-life 3 yeah also like it's basically gonna piss off the masses too that because a majority of people won't be able to play half-life 3 yeah exactly i don't feel angry about it though like i can't play it at launch but and i'm a huge half-life fan yeah at the same time i'm not like pissed about it or anything yeah i mean if if it were half-life 3 with gordon freeman and it's like this is it (laughs) you know and then would you be like what the fuck (laughs) i probably i probably would have already bought all the system yeah at that point (laughs) so that was so like 
those that could would have already invested, and those that couldn't would probably just be mad. <laughs> yeah. There's also a thing here, Walter, is that you're more evolved as the average gamer. Aww. I mean, yeah, I mean, sorry to say, but a lot of people were really pissed off about Alex. I mean... People are pissed about, like, how pause buttons work and, you know, every little pissy thing. Even me, I mean, last night, you know, or the other night, I mentioned it in my Doom Eternal. Like, oh, I gotta sign in. Uh, you know, I just went... And that was pretty annoying, though, because yeah. it was... Yeah. Mm. It, you know... It's a turn off. You know, there's videos of people burning, you know, their <laughs> PS4s because Sony said they would release a couple of games on PC, right? And so these were exclusives on the PS4 okay. and because they're going to be released on PC. People are those, burning their fucking are consoles. Those people. As, that's yeah. like the opposite direction. Those are the extra on highly – those are highly evolved and a bit, highly devolved. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, pretty much. That's not but, the masses either. Yeah, but I feel still, like that I, that kind of like vitriolic attitude is is going to be more pronounced now that a lot more companies are open to crossing borders. So they're seeing that you know walled off world slip away, and they're like, I gotta burn something. This is just my rage is even worse than it was before. But, but it's a weird thing to think of like gaming, like the console wars actually having some kind of real xenophobia to it. Like, you know, like what what is this? You really it's care? Just, that it's much? it's identity politics. It always has been. Yeah, it's identity yeah, politics yeah. fueled by marketing. Exactly, yep. yeah. It, These yeah, guys need a team, and, you know, the other team should die. you <laughs> got an Xbox, you got to die to kill you. The word gamer existed only in marketing, to, uh, you know, terminology back in, like, yeah. the mid-'90s. It was how they pushed big trade show, like, E3. It's just for gamers. That's how they pushed it to, like, national press. And the national press is like, oh, right, gamers. <laughs> Eventually, it became co-opted somehow, naturally, into... Yeah. It's kind of gross. Uh, that fucking sucks. I hate that whole thing. And I've yep. been playing video games since, you know, like it's been 30 years. Sounds like you guys uh, have a lot of self-hatred. Sounds like <laughs> 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 uh, me, I'm taking back the gamer tag. I'm going to use it. The, the slur. Don't call me. Call, go ahead and call me the G word. I don't care. <laughs> um... We may as well naturally evolve into more game talk. I mean, we're already here. There's no reason to shift back into Berserk and then back over to games on the ass end of this conversation. always chop it up, maybe, as long as we don't cross the streams in the conversation. <laughs> but that's sure. probably going to happen. Or we'll make references to Doom Eternal later. But, uh, yeah, we were already talking about it a little bit. What do you think, yeah. Az? Let's just Let's just bowl forward. So, Azeel, Griff, and I have been playing the new Doom game, Doom Eternal, which just came out on Friday, I think it was. Yeah. Um, I've only been able to play about two or three hours of it. I'm just playing, like, basically very, very, very late at night. And then, like, I go right to sleep, and then I wake up. Uh, so I have not had a lot of time to play it, but I'm enjoying well, You're going to have, like, the auto map in your head in your sleep, like, while you're dreaming. Yeah. It's, <laughs> a, it's a weird game to go right to sleep to, because of all the dismemberment and kind of intensity <laughs> that that game kind of inspires in your head. It's a weird, you know, late, late, late night right before you sleep game. Anyway... I am enjoying it. Um, as I was telling Griff, though, I, I miss kind of the sense of humor that the first game had, because that's kind of what captured my attention in Doom 2016 was, you know, this this robot guy is telling you to go get this super important crystal thing, and then you get it and you crush it in your hand. He's like, what are you, oh, God, what are you doing? And like, that kind of stuff was really what kind of yeah. drove me through. In addition to the action being great, of course, um, mm -hmm. it was just the it was irreverence of everything was fun. It was pitch perfect, I felt like. It was a pitch perfect kind of revival where it's like 
they're in on the joke, but it's also perfectly appropriate for like, you know, the doom guy. <laughs> like this is how you would, you know, do the doom guy and how he would behave. Whereas yeah. this one seems is a little bit more like it's, I mean, I use the comparison in the thread. I think it's apt. It feels a little like Diablo three. Like oh, with, yeah. all the, <laughs> with all the plotting and all the, and, it, and the doom guy, he does follow people's orders and stuff, at least so far. You know, it's like I expect him to just go into every room and, you know, they're like, well, you can't do. And then he just kills them. But instead, they're like they have to do these qualifiers. Like before he entered the room, they're like, oh, by the way, uh, she's invincible in this mm-hmm. form. So there's no point in attacking. It's like, oh, OK. So Which you should he's... probably already know in terms of they're, they're letting viewers know that anyway. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But it's like they're just coming up with an excuse why he doesn't just try it. Why, why don't we just try to kill her right now? <laughs> she's like the main bad guy. You know, did, you, did you get to the second level yet? The second stage where? Yeah, I just so I uh, installed the game. I was playing uh, the original Divinity, original Sin. So yeah. uh, it took me like uh, hundred and eleven hours. And now wow. that it's done, I installed Doom Eternal. I played through the first level and I just got the second, but just like I just started it and then you know I had to. But you you saw the first area, right? Like the you have to make a long jump. You saw that part. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. Okay. Because that's what I wanted to say was it goes from, like, what you would expect of a Doom 2, which starts out in Hell on Earth Doom. It was like, okay, great, yeah. right in the middle of it. And then it takes you to this kind of hub area where it kind of feels like Quake for a second. It's like older yeah. technology. And I was like, oh, wow, they're going to kind of mimic Quake. And then it takes you to, like, straight up Dark Souls 2. Like, yeah. this, like, <laughs> I, I straight up like Dark Souls 2 area. I was like, are they trying to like Dark Soulsify Doom here? Because I know they're kind of doing the multiplayer similar to that. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've got like—I mean, I mentioned it in the thread. It's like one of the first levels, but it's like there's like these green ghost wolves guiding you through a yeah. castle, and it's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's like this is so weird. It even look—it looks straight up like the second Wolf zone designer. of Dark Souls Two to me. Like it, it kind of gave me the same kind of vibe. Yeah, it gave me Dark Souls and Wolfenstein vibes. Just because I'm yeah. comparing it to other id shooters, where I'm like, this is more like Quake. And then I'm wondering, is this intentional, or is this basically supposed to be the magnum opus that's like paying tribute to everything? Or you know, but I don't know. I, it doesn't. I, it doesn't I have the same focus as the last game. I, I think it uh, stems from them trying to uh, expound on the story, and yep. that's that's a tricky part. I mean, for the first game, I think they eventually basically admitted that the the whole story of the thing was just done in like a week before yeah. launch. But and that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the reason it works is because since they had no time, they just went to the basics. It's a guy, he's just a demon killer and uh, he's not listening to anyone. And so doing that whole a bit comedic thing with, you know, the bad guy being like, oh, you got to do this and he just doesn't do it. So that was perfect. But, you know, I guess it might have been kind of accidental. And in trying to yeah. expound on it, I mean, the first thing that struck me is you start off in your, like, uh, you know, um, orbital station thing, <laughs> which has got, like, so they're trying to um, you know, go, yeah, go deep with the whole... It's- it's Old. Doom Mario Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's, he's like from a confrey of old knights, you know, like a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so any kind of, like you said, it's kind of like, you know, quakey, Dark Souls-y stuff. I'm not sure it's really appropriate. So um, because yeah. I'm just at the beginning, mm-hmm. I can't really comment further. But, yeah, I'm afraid it's going to stink a bit on the story side. That being said, it's- I think the reviews seems to be enjoying it. So we'll see. 
it's a lot of fun. I mean, the just you know, speaking of like the over the top, you know, mentality of the game. It's also in the gameplay, like with the grappling and the jumping and the dashing. Mm. It's just so much. Like it, I mean, it's, it's a, it gets it's a little fun. heavy for me. <laughs> yeah, it's like and in the first time you like grab onto the wall and the way he climbs up and down and everything. Mm-hmm. It's I I do I, I do get a kick out of it. But it does seem like, you know, it doesn't seem that necessary where I'm doing all this jumping around, especially when it's like you have to do it to survive these giant, you know, boss battlefields and stuff. And I'm thinking this isn't really the core Doom gameplay that I'm doing anymore. Like the first game did a good job of recapturing, Okay, why are you always moving? Why do you have to move so fast? Why are you? But Mm. still, you also have to run up on the enemy. It created this really sort of clever balance and ecosystem where you're going and, you know, doing old-school Doom gameplay, but it makes sense why you're not ducking and covering. So I don't know that this one has that. I mean, it has it in spades, but it's adding so many more layers on top that it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a bit much. But, I mean, still fun so far. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I guess it, there's just, um, to me, there's a lot of, which button is it again to dash right before I <laughs> jump yeah, off yeah, of this you know, cliff? Yeah, yeah, you know, before you die, you know. And the, yeah. that's the other thing too. You know what? The dash I've got pretty much down. The dash and the jumping I'm okay on. It's I can never, you know, when it's like, oh, now use your flamethrower by yeah. pressing. Oh, oh yeah. Switch power up by pressing F, and then it's like, <laughs> dude, I got too many fucking buttons. I got to remember to press. Well, and I'm you've also got to rotate them too to keep your armor up and all that. It's just like, ugh. This is my fault, but I, I keep I, when I play a first-person shooter. I, if I shoot two guys and I have a quiet moment, I naturally hit R to reload just to make sure I have a full clip yeah. before the yeah. corner. I'm constantly just blasting my flamethrower into nothing, like constantly. <laughs> <laughs> you should ch- you should just change the buttons, and you know. I know. Yeah. I feel like you know it's not it's not you because I also like instinctively at first I was like. I got to reload, and then I noticed, you know, it's not a mechanic right. in this game, but he's been in so many first-person shooters that we've been, like, trained like Pavlov's dog, you know, to do it. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's um, I'm enjoying it, and, and it, there's a lot to put for your mind to be um, thinking about, like, should I be chainsawing? Should I be – which weapon should I be using based on the ammo count? I do like that yeah. – it allows you to. It does feel like every shot counts because your cap of your ammo is pretty low for shotgun yeah. in particular. It feels like you can get like 19 or 15 shots, and then so that every time you use three or four into one dude, you're like, oh shit, I gotta switch switch weapons or something like that. And yeah, and also, I mean, I do like that you do have to switch around depending on the enemy. Like on mm-hmm. the Kako Demon, I switch to the shotgun with the little mine every yeah. time if you shoot him with that he eats it and then he automatically gets staggered and there's little tricks like that for every enemy yeah. and that's important when you're dealing with the really powerful ones multiples at once and you got to take them out but you also have to make sure to leave the the lame ones alive because they're basically that's your that's your health bar you basically just shoot those guys a little bit and then you can refill 50 life at yep. any point so i don't know it's just a lot it's a lot to remember like you're saying it's like oh do i need a chainsaw what mm-hmm. do I need to do? Uh, most of the time, I just go to the plasma rifle because yeah, it, melt it, them. It seems yeah, it seems overpowered for every situation. Like I can you know I can do a little pew pew and like hit a guy to like get him to do a glory kill for life, or mm-hmm. I can just melt you know the powerful guys. And this also has a shitload of ammo in it. Yeah, it's like, it's it has like a ton 200. of ammo and it seems to like take down it. Yeah.
The Skullcast is a production of Skullknight.net, a Berserk fan community. If you like what you heard, please visit patreon.com sknet. Donations there do not go towards the podcast, but instead toward our resident translator, Puela, who ensures that our members have access to high-quality, text-based translations of Berserk. Puela has also been translating interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. Many of these interviews have never been translated into English, so it's very exciting to read those. That kind of work simply wouldn't have happened without support from our donors. If you'd like to chip in a buck or two, please know that it all helps. Once again, that's patreon.com sknet. If you have a question or want to comment on the podcast, visit our forum, skullnet.net forum. Near the top, you'll see a section devoted to the podcast. There's always an active thread in there, so go ahead, leave a post, and someone's sure to respond quickly. Thanks for listening.